Wow. So, I've had a couple inspirations this week and a couple things that triggered my heart. And um, um, it's, it's weird how these messages come together. It's not like you start typing up a sermon like the good old days and, you know, have the script. And some people do that, but I, I can't anymore. <laughs> I know. Um, but um, I am triggered by episodes, let's say, uh, where people come into your life and say a statement or something happens. And this past week, uh, working in long-term care, I work part-time, uh, I participated in a rosary service, and I've participated in two of them now. And if you've ever been in one, they're quite repetitious. Have you been in a rosary service yet? It's really repetitious. And uh, you do your Hail Marys, and they, they have the four or five different Mysteries, I think they call them. Is that right? I think they're called mysteries. So anyway, you go through and then you do your Hail Mary, Mother of God, full of grace and all that stuff. And you hear these phrases, but I never sat through one. And I thought, they're affirming God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in a profound way. There's a declaration that's done. And then I thought, okay, because I heard some of the other team members say, wow, it's a lot of repetition. Our songs have a lot of repetition, okay? So we can't make fun of others in their repetition, just, just so you know, okay? Because sometimes, we, yeah. I purposely let us sing the, the chorus of Satisfy three times at the end. <laughs> that was beautiful. Okay. Exactly, it helps us remember. He, he, for those online, he, Russ was saying he did that last song, Satisfy the Three three verses because of repetition. Repetition matters. Even in other faiths. Well, take a look at the Buddhists. They, they do certain whatever they do, right? So that, well, I don't know. I don't know how it works. But, but the point is, when they chant, when they have, when they do their chants, they're repeating Words And why would they be repeating words? And why do we repeat words? Why does the rosary service repeat words? To remember. Remember that one psalm? The faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Remember that one? He says, the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. That's repetition. So for those evangelicals who are saying they're leaving the church or tired of their traditional church, um, you can say that as a reaction. That's fine. There's room for that. But that's not the end. Maybe God will bring you back to a more meaningful way of worshiping that you never saw coming. And so here's this rosary service, and I'm hearing the declaration of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. I may not agree with everything, but it's not about agreements. I was able to find things I agreed with and was able to emphasize. Just like the songs we just heard, there are some lines in there that's like, okay, right? If, if you notice that. But that's okay. We can't be like those, we can't be so judgmental that we, oh, I'm not singing that song because that line's in there. Like, that's so judgmental. Come thou fount of every blessing. It was beautiful. You know, the, let me go back for a minute because it's, it's kind of, I want to highlight something that was kind of fun. Because if you misread it, um, here we go. Okay, so I'm prone to wander, wandering from the fold of God. Really? 
Do you really wander from the fold of God? No. You have to remember these songs aren't necessarily literal. There's an emotional truth that's being sung. An emotional truth. We're prone to wander. Like I was just telling Jennifer in the middle of one of the songs, see, I really do see squirrels out the window. And I was pointing to a squirrel out the window. I'm not making this up, right? There was one. Thank you. And it's even more visible when I'm on stage. It's like, look, a squirrel. <laughs> Repetition helps you focus. <laughs> so this idea of wandering, you know, and then here we go. Um, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Nobody can leave the love of God. But there's an emotional feeling that I'm now distracted elsewhere. I don't feel like thinking about God. And we're distracted with all the other things. So if you understand why certain songs are written without overanalyzing every word or sentence, pull the good out. Suddenly we're going to have more, oh wait, grace for others. How many times in our grace journey have we corrected people's terminology? I'm super guilty of that. And I'm, I've had to go back and apologize to people because I didn't realize I was sounding like a grace Gestapo, correcting, and well, that's not the, I'm, I'm a teacher of grace, so I'm gonna help correct. Oh my goodness, the arrogance. Be loving, that's it. I love that. Your grace is always with me and I'll never be alone. That's the way the song ends. So this, the end is the declaration of the story. It's a story being shared. It's quite powerful. All right. Here's some things that made me pause this week. And by the way, some of you uh, um, mentioned you wanted my PowerPoint from last week because I had a whole bunch of those pictures. Same thing. If you want it again, just let me know. Or if you didn't get last week's, email me because it's a lot easier for me just to pop into email because once I get up to my office, I prepare it, shrink it down so it's emailable. But if you want those, I can totally email them up. But this next one's really simple. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reason this one triggered me this week is because it's so simple. We can get so busy doing stuff, our jobs, which is fine because you need a paycheck. That's how it works. But we can get distracted with people's problems sometimes and take them on to ourselves and realize, wait a minute, we are walking pieces of art, not pieces of work. <laughs> okay, big difference. <laughs> you are a masterpiece. But how many people don't believe that? Many people think they're an ugly piece of art. So incomplete, I got all these flaws, I'll never measure up to so-and-so who sounds so spiritual. Don't do that. Don't do that. Each one of us is an incredible masterpiece. Don't forget this. And that's why repetition matters, because we forget so easily. Again, what does the love of God look like lived out? That's what the sermon series is about. But the fruit of the Spirit is not a pear. The fruit of the Spirit, Spirit is these, this is what comes out. Love comes out of us. Joy comes out of us. Peace comes out. Patience comes out. Kindness comes out. Goodness comes out. Faithfulness comes out. Gentleness comes out. Self-control comes out. And whose is it? 
not yours. It's Christ's patience and gentleness, Christ's faithfulness, nothing on your own merit. What? Sorry, you can't take credit. Imagine that. Oh, look how spiritual I am. Yeah, fruit. Anyway, no. But, but this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, this, this kind of made me think of, if we're trying to let Jesus out, it looks like love. It looks like these things. You don't try to do them. In fact, you don't even have to pray for more of this. You have all of it in you already. To slow down, become aware of it. That's a whole different thing. I love this. You can't change how you feel without changing your thoughts. You can't change your thoughts without changing your focus. Repetition. Sometimes we have to repeat these things. I used to uh, hold, put little Bible verses in the mirror or sticking around and just to be reminded of them, and then I thought that was stupid. I said, boy, that's legalistic. I have the spirit. I don't need that. Well, look, a squirrel. Yeah, I need those, okay? We need whatever it is that works for us and not judge someone else for how they remember, how they like hearing the scriptures. Sometimes we see pictures put up. We have that hope sign. You know, it's just a reminder, we are a church of hope. Offering hope to people, especially people who are struggling with your faith. Many of those watching online secretly that don't comment are questioning things, and they're not allowed to question them at their own churches. Here it's safe to do that, because we haven't got all the answers, which is really nice. We're not certain. The sin of certainty is something of a phrase I've heard. I'd rather explore the mystery of the love of Christ in each of us because it looks different in each one of you. We think we know the love of Christ, wait till you sit down with Val. Suddenly you're gonna have a whole new expression with the love of Christ. Well, I never saw that. Oh, Rod, sit down with Rod. Oh, there's a whole new expression of the love of God. <laughs> Comes with suds. Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> Cheers. All right, here's another one, Thomas Merton. To say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence. For God is love, something we have covered many times. For God is love, love is my true identity. Selflessness is my true self. There are many people struggling with identity today. What is identity? I, I'm still convinced that my identity in Christ, something we've been teaching for almost 20 years, it is my, our union with Christ. That is our identity. What it looks like in the outside, it's a whole new thing. And people try to use externals and make that their identity. They allow their feelings to become their identity. Uh-uh. Any psychologist, counselor, social worker will help you understand that that thinking up there comes from a belief. If we begin with this, we can live out our identity so much better and walk in peace. So if that is our true identity, I love that phrase. I'm gonna, I hope I can share that again some other time. You either see God in all or you don't see God at all. This comes from knowing your identity. This comes from less judgment. The more we 
be love, the less we judge others. And this could actually trigger some of your biases. And that's okay. Because if it is, that's God gently tapping you going, here's one area we're going to work on. I'm going to take that judgment, that bias, that whatever, and turn it into love. And we're going to do it carefully without hurting you or them. God's done that to me in a couple categories with a couple other people groups. I tell you, the journey is exciting. We are so not done. (laughs) I love that. Does that make sense? Blank stares. Oh, great. Should I start again? Just kidding. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Nelson Mandela. Why is that important? Because agape, true love, is others-centered, others-focused. And we talked about focus, where you focus your attention, where you focus your thinking. This is how we live the life that's in us out. I love it. Last one. This one, this was the big trigger this week. The whole of me that is Christ will never die. It's from Kenneth Tanner. If, you're, if you don't know him, follow him on Facebook. He's a, an incredible teacher. The whole of me that is Christ will never die. This should make you wonder and contemplate what is my union with Christ then? What does it mean to be one with Christ? Union. And if I'm in union with Christ, I will never die. Just think about it for a few minutes or after we're done. Time for Henry Nowen. This will tie right in. Imagine that. Ties in. (laughs) The chosenness of the other. When we claim and constantly reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their own chosenness. Instead of making us feel that we are better, more precious, or valuable than others, our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. That is the great joy of being chosen. The discovery that others are chosen as well. In the house of God, there are many mansions. (laughs) There is a place for everyone a unique, special place. Once we deeply trust that we ourselves are precious in God's eyes, and right there's the big one, once we deeply trust that we ourselves, you gotta first believe that you are precious. (laughs) In God's eyes, we are able to recognize the preciousness of others and their unique place in God's heart. This is why we're not emphasizing any people groups so to speak, here at Hope Fellowship. We don't focus on, well, what do you, we, we'll touch on different theology, but are, are we open to this? Are we open to that? Uh, we're going to go to love. Love is the one I can talk about. Love will make you really get rid of this us versus them. Because I grew up in a system of church where believers were in and unbelievers were out. 
they're going to hell. I'm not. Like, it's awful. And then we rub it in. We have our Christianese language we force on them. And, oh, maybe I'll play a hymn in the background. Maybe they'll get saved from hearing Jesus in the hymn. Like, oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? Ah, if you lose the us versus them, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start loving anybody and everyone around you. You're not going to judge them versus us versus them. You're not going to see a certain outfit and judge which faith they're from. Oh, that's right, because Christ loves them too, as we are to love all. We are seen by God's loving eyes. The greatest spiritual battle begins and never ends with the reclaiming of our chosenness. Long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. That's everybody. Henry Nouwen, pretty powerful. Back to repetition. Somebody inspired me last week and made me think of something we don't usually talk about. We've, we've touched on here and there. We've talked about the creeds, apostolic creed, Nicene creed, Lord's Prayer. Some non-denominational churches will say, we don't do that because that's all ritual. And we've had that attitude at times too. I think there's time, there's a time to find value in these things again. If it's just meaningless repetition, then even Jesus made fun of that. Don't come and pray with your meaningless repetition. But if we find value in these things, I thought, huh, maybe this will point us to a reminder of who this God is we say we believe in. So I want to share with you, because of that inspiration, about the Nicene Creed. But first I'm going to read something from Brad Jerzak, who posted this in 2014. Because as I began researching the Nicene Creed, there's a lot of questions that come with it, and I didn't have time to get into all that. This is not a study on the creed, but when I do read the creed, you're going to hear faith in words. Brad writes, when I teach the Nicene Creed, I will reference every phrase, indeed every word, to its rootedness in the apostolic faith found in the scriptures. So why not just use scripture alone? The fathers of the council at Nice, Ia, were at one time ready to accede to the request of some of the bishops and use only scriptural expressions in their definitions. But after several attempts, they found that all these were capable of being explained away. Athanasius described, describes with much wit and penetration, how he saw them nodding and winking to each other when the Orthodox proposed expressions, which they had thought of a way of escaping the force of. After a series of attempts of this sort, it was found that something clear and more equivocal must be adopted if real unity of faith was to be attained. And accordingly, the word homosius was adopted. This word homosius. So they were arguing about doctrine because... The scriptures as we have them today, in the form we have them today, come from other languages. It's translated. There are other words that 
well, the actual words don't explain everything well enough. It can't. It's not the entire revelation of God. <gasps> Shock to some. Sorry, it's just not. But this idea of homosius is, in Christianity, it's the key term of Christological doctrine formulated at the first ecumenical council, that's the gathering of a whole bunch of groups, held in Nicaea in 325. That's a long time ago. To affirm that God the Son and God the Father are of the same substance. And there's a reason for this. I think I have it here. Yes. The first council of Nicaea presided over by the Emperor Constantine was convened to resolve the controversy within the church over the relationship between the persons of the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Oh my goodness, there's a whole bunch of words not in the Bible. Neither is rapture for Pete's sake. But at least Trinity is a wonderful word that describes an expression of who God is. The council condemned Arianism, which taught that Christ was more than human but not fully divine. The use of homosius, one substance, in the creed produced at the council was meant to put an end to the controversy, although the influence of Arianism persisted in the church for centuries. In 381, Emperor Theodosius, I summoned the second ecumenical council. The first council of Constantinople, which developed and affirmed an earlier creed. The resulting Nicene creed also contained the word homosius, which became the definitive statement of the orthodox belief. Why is this important? Well, I listen, I, I go to the early church fathers. Well, who are they? Well, Martin Luther, you know, and John Calvin. Really? If you think Martin Luther and John Calvin are early church fathers, <laughs> you have much work to do in your history lessons. Now, Martin Luther used to be Catholic, and he was a, can I say this word on, in church? He was a crap disturber. He really was. He questioned things. He called out the church for what was being misused. It was amazing. And boy, oh boy, yeah. Thank God for Martin Luther. And we're in a Lutheran church, which is kind of fun because kind of got a radical streak in the blood. Good. Because I think we need to question things. I think we need to question everything. Everything is worth questioning because God's not afraid of questions at all. I just thought that was pretty cool. Here's the Nicene Creed. If you've never heard it, this is it. This is worth pondering. This is a summary of belief that goes back to the 300s. That's really old. Let's, let me read this for you. I believe in, by the way, every word matters. <laughs> I believe in one God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not created, of one essence with the Father. There it is through whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried. And he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. 
He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Pause for a moment. This word judge, it may not mean what you think it means. There's always a better hope-filled perspective. We'll get into that another day. His kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the creator of life, who proceeds from the Father, who together with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. In one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. Amen. Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic, just so you know. It means universal. We're all part of the universal Catholic church, all of us. Weird, huh? My Baptist roots are cringing. <laughs> oh, I'm so saved from that. The joke is I used to be Baptist, then I got saved. But anyway, <laughs> this brings us to Paul. Wrap up with this. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We all have much to learn. Our history matters. I think Dave Shaw, he's a history buff, and he loves history, church history, that kind of stuff. I think he did a Bible study once on that too. We should probably do it again. We have much to learn from it. If what we're learning does not make God bigger and better, it's not love. If what we're learning doesn't reveal the love of God, it's not the love of God. If what we're learning doesn't make us more loving, we're not learning it right. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Not correct doctrine, not the correct rituals. It's when we do those meaningful rituals out of love, then it has meaning. We're not done learning. And I hope that in this next year we can explore more and more of our history, explore other, let's call it liturgy, that has, been, that has lost meaning and maybe rediscover it. We don't have to hang on to any one of them, but maybe include it a little bit more often because each of us come from different backgrounds. All of us do. So, same Christ, same union. If I'm in union, so are you, and that means we can love each other in a powerful way. Would you please bow your heads in a word of prayer with me? Heavenly Father, oh boy, can you awaken us? And when you're teaching us a, you know, a correction, I've always asked you to be extra gentle with me, but in the same way, be extra gentle with all of us so that we can welcome 
the learned lessons that you want us to learn. That we may gently become more and more loving. We're not in a race. But please speak to us. And if anyone listening or here has forgotten or never heard, they're deeply loved and valued and accepted. Would you reveal that to them again? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.